Welcome to Views from the Porch, a podcast where we explore what it looks like to survive and thrive in your young adult years. Each week, we talk about the biggest challenges facing young adults today and how to overcome them from God's Word based on our weekly experience in leading thousands of young adults at the porch. For more info on the porch, visit theporch.live. Thank you for joining. What's up, guys? It's your boy, JP, and we are here to talk about views from the porch. I am here with two people I love and love to work with, my friend, the David Marvin. Hello. What a compliment. Yeah, it's true. And the Elena Haas. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Uh, we are here to party. What are we talking about That's right, today? dude. Come on. We're talking about money. Money, money, money. One money, of the biggest money, money, issues money. facing young adults today and... Uh, you know, the student debt is a huge problem just as a culture. People are uh, more inclined to buy things on credit than ever before. Uh, we're told constantly that, you know, if you want to be happy, you're going to have to have a job that makes bank. And so we are talking about a biblical worldview on money, how to survive and thrive in your 20s and 30s and handle money. What do you know about money, man? I'm sorry, Elena took my pen. <laughs> it was really frustrating. That's what was it's, happening in the background. I can't David's work like this. Saying all these profound things about money. I look up I and Elena's one. sneaking off my pen. Uh, man, like so this. you said it's the biggest problem young adults face today. One of the biggest. Is that true? Listeners, is that true? Is it one of the biggest problems young adults face today? I, I bet it is. I bet you're right. Dude, the average person is $40,000 in student loan debt. It's crazy. The average American? No, I think it's the average young adult. Oh, you're just making up stats now. I okay. am just making, making stuff up. up. Hey, dude, we don't, we, we don't know. We just... just the average down. elephant weighs three tons. Yes. My neighbor has uh, two rabbits. That's... All right. That That's not a statistic or a fact. Um, well, I guess it is a fact. All right. Let's talk about money, dude. What do you... Uh, what is... Uh, let's just talk high level. What does the Bible say about money? Is money a bad thing? And is it a bad thing to want more of money? Uh, yeah, and so th- here's the, uh, that's an interesting question. So the like, you, the one you landed on is it a bad thing to want more money? And so if you're out there, you're listening. Let's just kind of put you in a category. You're a person who wants more money, or you don't, right? And and more than likely, because you're listening to this podcast, I want to I want to make a big assumption and uh, speak to the masses. I'm going to assume you're a Christian. Um, let's let's just assume you're Christian. You have a biblical worldview. You believe there's a God. You want to do what honors Him. And now we're talking about money, and and we're asking this question: Do you want more of it? And my hunch is the vast majority of people out there are going to say what? Yes. Yeah. I mean, Elena, not even you, the vast. I would I say one hundred percent. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think people are like, yeah, I want I want more money. And then what's interesting is if you open the scripture, and uh, and you 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 know. Turn through the scripture that says, "Hey, we're to be content. Godliness with contentment is great game, uh, gain." Rather, um, in Ecclesiastes five, you have this experiment that Solomon does. Solomon's king. Uh, you can go uh, to an area outside of Jerusalem. You can to this day see Solomon's pools. They're still there. The, the guy's pools, his pools are still there. The pools that he used to water his vineyards are still there. I mean, this guy got bored and he just started building stuff. I mean, I'm talking arboretums for gardens, this guy. And uh, and so he he was better than us in every way. He had more women than you. He could run faster than you. He was better looking than you and had a whole lot more clothes than you. Jesus even talks about how the way that he dressed. I mean, he was wearing designer labels. And yet he says... Hey, in all of his wisdom, the wisest man ever to live, 
aside from Jesus, says that you know when we want money, we never have enough of it. First uh, Timothy six says it's a trap, it's a snare to want more money. Uh, Hebrews thirteen says that uh, we should be free from the love of money. Um, you've heard the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so I think if we read those verses in isolation, we would we would come to the conclusion that, hey, it is bad to want more money. I think wanting more money is synonymous with discontentment. Which is hard to reconcile, though. So let's camp there for a second, because I don't think there's a single person out there that would say, I want less money. In fact, most people listening are probably like, if you know anyone who wants less money, I'd love to help them with that problem and take some of their money. If they're looking to give away more money, I might go as- I'm happy to say... I'll take it. I might go so far as to say it's bad to want less money. That's that's uh, synonymous with discontentment, right? Yeah. And so what the Bible calls you to is to be content with what you have. It says in 1 Timothy 6, it says, uh, with food and clothing, we should be content with these. And so the only person who should be discontent with their financial situation is the one who doesn't have enough food to eat and doesn't have clothes to wear. But but argue with me. Like, if you read that text on a deserted island, okay, you're stranded on an island, all that you have is the Bible, you open it up, and you believe that it's God's Word, and you turn to, with food and clothing, we should be content with these, I think you're going to be like, I don't know, food and clothing and six figures in the bank account, right? We should be content with these. I mean, I think everyone reads that verse and, and just thinks, What? I mean, especially from an American lens, would you read, hey, with food and clothing, we should be content? It sounds so foreign and so hard to believe, so uh, supernatural would be the only explanation of it. And it's such a rare thing. I I don't know anyone who lives that way. So it's 1 Timothy 6, 8. I just turned there on my phone. I'm going to read it. It says, um, for we we brought, this is verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. <laughs> and that's one of, like, you know, we also said Hebrews 13, verse 5, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, all, it's like debt. The Bible doesn't prohibit debt, it just says it's very dangerous. You should proceed with caution. It sounds like a very similar thing happening with money or even the desire for money, that it is a temptation, a trap. The desire for riches can lead you into a snare. That it's dangerous. But, yeah, I might go, say, a little stronger. I mean, in, in the, just that it says, don't love money. Yeah, right. but here's the counter. I, I mean, you would say to anyone, hey, don't love money, and people would be like, I don't know that I love money. I just have, I'm, I like, I like, I greatly like money. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's called justification. And right now you're trying to justify your sin. And so I get it. Man. Hey, dude, I, get I see it. those pants, man. Yeah. Don't come at me with that. I got these at a garage I'm, sale, bro. I'm wearing, I'm wearing Walmart shorts right now. Come at me, bro. From college. I got these things at Marshall's. What are you talking about? Right, let's stay on, on the, the same sale page rack. And attack Elena. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, I'm good. Get on the same Over page. Over there with yeah. your Lululemon shirt, man. Oh, wow. Uh, Nordstrom, actually. Okay, yeah. so one of the reasons people have such a desire for money is the culture around us says that money can buy happiness. Or even though you hear that quote that, that money, you know, hey, it doesn't buy happiness, it definitely seems like a factor. It buys you ice cream, which I always smile when I eat ice cream. So There's some comedian that says, uh, uh, 
yeah, but it can buy you a jet ski. And you've never seen anyone who doesn't look happy on a jet ski. Besides Jay-Z, have you seen that recent meme? No. Oh, it's really funny. You guys, you guys got to look on social media. Wow. There's a meme of Jay-Z on a jet ski. It's really funny. We'll have to check it out. Just take our word for it. It's hilarious. <laughs> wow. That's great. Uh, yeah, so there, there's actually a study that uh, I wrote about, actually, um, that just talks about they did. It says it, it does. Money does bring some happiness. Up to seventy-five thousand dollars was the number that they stumbled upon, and over that, there's like zero return. Which most of us, that's not what we think. I think when we uh, seventy-five thousand is a lot of money, um, a lot of money. That that is a really healthy salary. Um, but I think when we think, hey, I want to be rich, we think, hey, I want seven figures in things, or seven figures in the bank account, or a six-figure job. And um, the the truth is, uh, uh, what they found, what science found, what this study has found, is that past that number, it, it didn't make any difference. He, here's what I would submit as evidence, though, is just consider the depression rates. I mean, how many people in Hollywood are in antidepressants? Uh, how consider the, the suicide rates, and I don't mean to make light of this because it it's truly is heartbreaking, but consider how many people you want to be in their lives, you know? Uh, they come to the end of it. They have everything that you think that you want, and they no longer want to live. And um, I, I think there's something to God's word. I, I know there is that that God, is, who loves us, our Father in heaven, is onto something when He says, "Hey, this is what you should be content." There's a discipline. You should discipline yourself for godliness. You should work uh, diligently at being content and putting your mind to that. So. Um, I, here's one of the things that I think is behind a, a lot of the reason. Oh, Elena's pulling up the jet ski Jay Z, Jay Z thing. It literally yeah, he says the he doesn't look too happy. <laughs> it's all over the you internet. Get y'all. a motor behind that jet <laughs> Dang. ski. Dang, Jay Z's angry on the jet ski. <laughs> yeah, is is comparison. So you you have a book coming out uh, September fourth. Welcome to adulting. There you go. There's a shameless book. Could not encourage you highly enough to pre-order it or go and read it. But inside of the book, one of the things you talk about is money. And one of the things you talk about within money is just how comparison fuels this idea, which I think is 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 truly uh, at least at the epicenter in my life and the lives of you know some of the people I'm closest with. It's behind what fuels the desire for more and more stuff. In other words, if I was on a desert island and no one else had a new car that was coming out, or if I had the nicest car of all of my friends, I wouldn't be going, man, I need to get a new ride. Or if I had the nicest house of all of my friends, I wouldn't be sitting there being like, you know what? We just can't live like this. We're living in the dump. And yet when you um, find yourself looking around and you see your other friends are already buying a house or they have a mortgage or they've paid off their student loan, it just fuels and feeds something inside of you. So I guess... My question is, what role does comparison play? Well, I think I think because of Genesis 3, let's just go to your deserted island metaphor, illustration. I think because of Genesis 3, if you're on a deserted island, uh, you are going to be, you're going to struggle with contentment. And so you're going to build a hut, and then you're going to want to build a bigger hut. And you're going to have a spear, but you're going to want a sharper spear um, or a nicer spear. You know, the, the discontentment's still going to be there. Sure. But then if if you put someone else on that island with a bigger hut, with a nicer spear, it's like pouring kerosene on that discontentment that was already there. And so consider what has happened with social media, where now I go to my phone and I constantly see the very best version of my friends and the celebrities and who I look up to 
all the time, and I'm constantly comparing my life to the life that the best life that I could possibly imagine because people only put, you know, their their best face on social media for the most part. And so uh, you have this epidemic of suicide rate, right? I mean, you have people taking their life left and right, which is so tragic. And you have um, an epidemic of anxiety, an epidemic of depression in our midst, the highest levels of depression that we have ever seen in the history of history. And people say, why? And I think, man, that that is uh, at the foundation of it, comparison. And I think what has poured kerosene on that fire is social media. It's so weird, man. I mean, we live, somebody said this recently and it just stuck with me. We live at a higher standard of living than like Napoleon did, than kings a couple centuries ago did, just the life that you experience, the average person. I mean, the average person has like a smartphone in America. That would have been mind-blowing to a majority of, of just people in our own country's history. And the standard of living for, you know, even the middle class today is well above any of the upper class two generations ago. It's just crazy, yeah, and yet just, we're more discontent than ever. I don't want to blow past what you just said, and it may not make sense because I read the same article that just compared the way that we live today to kings of ages past, like the wealthiest people in the land, and we, the the average, the commoner today is much more impressive, much more wealthy, much better off, has much... Uh, uh, more incredible tools at their disposal than kings did of ages past. So, what you know, we brought up the idea of student loan debt. Tons of students, or tons of now young adults, have student loan debt. It's somewhere, I mean, uh, uh, north of 20, south of 100, I believe, is the average. So, that's why I say 40. What, what, what advice would you give to someone who has thousands of dollars of student loan debt that they're looking at and they're trying to climb out of it and, um, and they just feel like they're drowning? Yeah, I would say get out of debt. Um, the proverb says that the borrower is slave to the lender, and so as long as that debt exists, that you you know it's easy to buy a lie that student debt isn't real debt. You know, um, it's a lower interest rate. Still, you're, if you're paying an interest rate, if it's let me say, if you owe somebody money, it's debt. And uh, if you have an interest rate on top of that money, uh, it's not good debt. We we talk about good debt and bad debt like the bad debt like there's good debt out there. Now the Bible just puts debt in one category. It says, "Hey, anybody who owes somebody money, they are slave to that person. Uh, that person has something to hold over them." And it says that we are to free ourselves from that, like a gazelle in a snare. We're to to shake our leg out of that. And so, what does that look like for the practical? Uh, for the person uh, who's practically trying to pay off student loans, I, it looks like eating, living on a budget. You know, eating and living below your means, um, and and putting as much money to that service that debt as you can, so that you get free of it. Uh, because until you're free of it, there's a reason that people celebrate the day that they're free, or the day that they pay off their student loans. There's a reason that it feels like a huge weight. That's what I hear all the time. Man, it just felt like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders when I wrote that last check. And uh, that's because there's a weight on your shoulders. You know, That's because there is something uh, sitting over you. So I would say work diligently to pay it off. What caution would you give someone who's considering taking out student loans? I would ask, is there any other way? You know, yeah. Like, uh, don't don't do it if you don't have to. And and I have a hard time even believing that you'd have to. Um, 
you know, go look at, it just depends on their situation. That's what I want to say. I don't know everybody's individual situation. You don't have to email me telling me why yours makes sense. Uh, you know, uh, if it makes sense, it makes sense. But also, um, if you, if you just want to go to a particular college, I mean, you might look like a, at a community school. Um, consider all your options before you take on debt. That's what I would say. Totally. go Take online classes. You can knock out some electives. You can knock out a ton of stuff if you are looking at taking out student loan debt or you have a younger sibling and uh, they're looking at taking out student loan debt. Encourage they're, them to knock out as much as they can on a cheaper yeah. uh, line item than some of those major universities. They're presenting debt as an option because they make money off of it. Yep. And so they make it sound like it's not a big deal. Um, they're coming alongside you like a hero, uh, wanting to do you a favor. J- just know they're financially motivated. That, that's why they're doing that. It's a business. And you're the customer. You're the client. You, you know, you potentially, if you're not educated, are being taken advantage of. Um, all right. So on the lines of debt, let's talk about credit cards. Because right behind, I looked it up, $37,000 is the average millennial student loan debt. Right behind that is credit card debt. And uh, and so let's talk about credit cards. Is it a bad thing to have a credit card? A lot of people, I was told this all the way growing up, in order to build credit, if you ever want to buy a house someday, you got to have a credit card. And so what would you say to that person? I would say credit, just like money, is a tool. And a credit card is a tool. And so, you know, I can imagine a narrative. It depends on who you are. And when we talk about morality, is something right or wrong? You know, the, the scriptures say that God cares about the heart. And so it all depends on the why, why you're doing it. And so we, we have a credit card, my wife and I, Monica and I, have a credit card that we use to buy groceries. It's clean, it's easy, it's fast, and we pay it off every single month, and it and we get a return. You know, it, um, we earn points. Uh, and so the reason that we did that, we wrestled through that, we prayed through that, and we know that we are stewards of God's money. So all the money that we have, it really belongs to God, and we're just God's financial advisor. And the same is true for you. You are simply God's financial advisor. So when you tithe or you give money to the church or money to kingdom purposes, you're not asking how much should I give, you're really asking how much should I keep. When the same way, that applies to all avenues of, of, of our lives, but especially we're talking about the financial aspect of our life. And so I want to be the best steward of God's money, and so I've learned that, hey, if I use this credit card and I pay it off every month, that I can um, actually buy things cheaper because I get a percentage back, uh, whether it's gas or groceries or medication um, or or eating out or hotel or travel, uh, we get a return on those dollars spent. And so um, that's a strategy that we've applied. But if you can't be trusted, like if you if you know you're not going to pay it off every month or you're buying that credit card so that you can, or you're getting that credit card rather so you can buy something that you can't afford, I would say that's wrong. That That is foolish. The scriptures warn against that. Yeah, that's good. Which I think a lot of people need to be honest with themselves. You're listening to this right now, and you're just you're paying just the interest on your credit card each month and the minimum payment, and you know that probably this thing's enabling more than it is allowing you to prosper, and you're being a financial great steward. Uh, another thing related to just this topic of money is the idea of having nice things because you got two extremes. You got one that is, hey, um, uh, you're pursuing money, and and you need to stop, repent of that, and it's chasing after money is is a lead is leading to a trap, and then. Sometimes Christians find themselves being like, do I need to feel guilty about nice things? Maybe nice things were given to me. Maybe I was raised in in a home and my parents bought me a car. What would you say to the person who who carries some level of guilt over having nice things? I would say it depends on why you have nice things. There's nothing nothing wrong uh, morally. Because I robbed some banks. Yeah, that's wrong. Robbing banks is bad. And uh, and you just confessed that to the podcast world. So... um, 
No, I would just say it, it depends on why you have nice things. And so if you find identity joke, in nice things. Joke, by the way. Okay. <laughs> Most people, if we're That's honest, we are, we are um, accessorizing a character. So we view ourselves like we're a character in a movie. Life is the stage. And we're accessorizing ourselves. So we didn't buy those glasses. We didn't buy those sunglasses to protect us from UV rays. We bought those sunglasses, those Ray-Bans, or those Maui gems, uh, you know, or whatever we got because the the way they make us look. And we didn't buy a shirt, you know, to protect us from the cold. Um, we bought a, a designer shirt because that label says something about us. We didn't buy a truck, you know, uh, so that we could pull a trailer and, you know, work cattle, or you didn't get it lifted with big tires, you know, in case you get stuck in traffic, right? Iraq. <laughs> yeah, we, we bought that because it, it, it is accessorizing the character that we want to play. And that's identity talk. And we need to be careful about finding identity in the things of this world. We don't belong the world to this world. And so the scripture says, anyone who loves the world or the, uh, the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And so we, we do need to proceed um, with caution there. Uh, but it, it, it ultimately comes down to your heart. Let me say this here. I was, I was reading in Second Kings this morning, and I was reading about just my, my eyes were scanning over just about these kings with wicked hearts who got distracted. And they didn't do what they were supposed to do that, that God wanted them to do. They got caught up in the horses they had, the things that they had, uh, relationships. They just had divided hearts. And as I'm reading that, my, my eyes are skimming the page, and uh, my, my mind had wandered into all the things that I had to do, to, had to do that particular day, things that I wanted. Um, my, my Apple Watch broke. Uh, this week, and you know the the glass shattered, and I'm like, man, what am I going to do? You know, I need a new watch, and and my mind is there, right? It just it wonders to things. And someone challenged me. I, I asked brothers when I gather with men who love Jesus often. I'm like, hey, what is something I need to work on? And a guy sharpened me the other day. He said, hey, just be cautious about wanting glory for yourself. I'm like, man, that's a good word. And he said, and just be cautious about wanting stuff and things and trinkets and treasures, uh, because where your treasure is. There your heart will be also, the scripture says. And so God cares about our heart. It's all about the why. Elena, were you thinking something? Yeah, I was thinking, I think what could be helpful is if you just processed how you um, think through when you want to buy yourself something that you don't necessarily need, how do you like walk through if you should get it or not? Let's just say it's like a pair of, a new pair of shoes yeah. that you don't really need. You have other shoes. Oh, man, you're meddling now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think just... Hey, let's be honest. You have a lot of shoes. Okay, okay. Uh, that's a lot of honesty. Yeah, um, I like think there's a lot of people in this room that could use some of those shoes. Let me let me <laughs> tell you. Let me tell you why I have a lot of shoes. Do you know why? And I'm being dead serious right now. You, do you know why? Why do you think I have a lot of shoes? I have uh, a guess. Fashion. Okay. Fashion. What do you think? I've heard that shoes are the first thing people notice about you, and it says something about you. Okay. I wish it was that noble. That's that image <laughs> thing. Here's why. I, yeah, here's why thing. I have a lot of shoes, because I can't be trusted. Okay, and it has nothing. Don't try to make the correlation. Wait, what does that have to do with shoes? Meaning, um, in in isolation, I'm going to take God's money and I'm going to spend it on myself. That's the truth. And so I've got a group of guys that I meet with every single Friday morning and every other Thursday night, and I process buying decisions with them. And sometimes, in some seasons, honestly, I do better than others. Big ticket purchases, it's really easy. So if I'm ever going to spend more than five hundred dollars on something, those guys get an email with a with a an, um, 
uh, description of what I'm buying and why and why I think it's a good use of God's money. But sometimes, you know, I, I go on Amazon, I see the deal of the day, I click the buy it now, I don't give it a lot of thought, and I've had to repent from that in seasons past. And another thing, you know, I go online, I see a deal on shoes, and, um, you know, I, I'll justify it. I'm like, man, you know what? My, it's hard to find my size. And so if I see my size, I'm like, oh, I need to buy those. And uh, it's not right. You know, it's, it's, it is an area of my life that I don't think is uh, fully conformed to the image and the character of Jesus. And it's something that, you know, that's what that, that's what that friend of mine who loves me was just calling me out on. It's like, hey, as you think about being more Christ-like and, and leading people, this is an area of your life I think you could grow in. You know, it's interesting you say that because I think it's a shadow side knowing you up close and personal. I think it's a shadow side of, of at least some level. Uh, I know there's sin involved. Money's always a hard issue. Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 6. But I think it's also a shadow side of, I think you're really one of the most generous people I know. I mean, truly, I'm not just saying that um, here. I've said that many times before and said it in other venues. But so I think there's a, um, uh, at the same time, almost a, you're not holding tightly onto, we have other friends that, that maybe are better at keeping a budget and better holding on to things tightly, and they may not be as generous either. Yeah. And so those can almost go, or or maybe not. Well, how would you respond to that? It can well, seem like they go hand in hand. Sometimes I think generosity in that way can be, um, it can be a value. Like when you value things, you value having things, and you buy, value buying things for others. And so I just don't want to let myself off the hook that easy. Like sometimes I like stuff, and whether I have stuff or you have stuff, and I give you stuff, you know. and, and I know that. Like there's a part of my heart that loves this world and wants to accessorize my life with nice things. And um, I want to be comfortable. Um, I don't. I'd rather be comfortable than missional if I'm operating in the in the flesh. And so um, it, it is. Here's the scripture says that money is a tool. Um, that's that's what it, as it talks about money. That's the conclusion that you would draw is that money is a tool and that we're to use it. Even as Jesus talks about it in the parables, even the parable of the talents. You know, uh, the guy who just buries it under a rock. I mean, doesn't do anything with it. Um, he he's not well esteemed. But the guy who takes it and multiplies it and uses it, uh, that's the one the master is pleased with. And so we are stewards of God's money, and if God wouldn't want us uh, to buy those shoes with his money, we shouldn't buy those shoes with his money. We need to view money as a tool. We need to view it as God's. That's good. Like an investment, like uh, when you take your money to a bank and you set up with an investor and you ask them to, hey, handle this, put it in investments, put it in things that you hope are going to grow, or your 401k or your uh, retirement IRA, you go to an investor, and so God has done with us. And I think that perspective changes you. I think what you said about community is huge, having people around you who speak into those big purchases. I have the same ditch. I just think living in Dallas, um, my guess is most of us are so uh, inoculated to just the materialism around here, we don't even realize it. And um, and so having community, I know is huge for me. I, I've seen you in your own life play out that way. So anything else? I know we're 25 minutes in here, and uh, as we just talk about money, that... Uh, that you would say along the lines of just this subject. One time, you know, we did this experiment to hit, hit home on this idea that all money is God's. Is when people showed up to church, we actually gave them an envelope, and that that envelope was money. And some people got a hundred dollar bill, some people got twenty, some people had five. Um, but everybody left. I mean, thousands of people left with money, and it was it was surprising. They were like, "Wow!" Usually, the church is asking for money, and now they're they're giving it, and. Um, talking about the the church in general, not Watermark specifically. I feel like we rarely ever talk about money. But um, and it's interesting, David, 
the pressure that people felt to do something wise with that money, having given it to, having been received that from the church. Mm-hmm. It's like they felt this burden, like, whoa, what do I, man, what do I, I need to really think about what I'm going to do with this. And that is the truth for every single dollar you have. That paycheck that comes in, you're tempted to think that you earned it because you worked for it, but God gave you the ability to work for it. God and his sovereignty connected you with that company. God made you able to walk, able to talk, able to think, able to compute, able to do the things that you do, able to teach. Whatever it is that you do to earn that money, God gave you that ability. That money, it belongs to him, and you have it on loan. And so you just think about, hey, feel a healthy burden to what do I do? How do I steward this um, to, to please my master? So we're not talking about salvation. You know, you're saved through, uh, uh, by grace through faith, Jesus Christ alone. But because we belong to God, we're his children now. All of our resources have been given to us by him. That's good, man. All right, dude, that's, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, it's fun being with you guys talking about money, and we'll see you next week. We want to thank you for listening to Views from the Porch. For more information about The Porch Ministry, visit us at theporch.live or follow us on social media at The Porch.